Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. What a crazy word. We've heard it used about every way possible over the last six or seven months, haven't we? Like it's been in Australia, there was unprecedented fires. I don't know if y'all remember that. Uh, COVID obviously has messed us all up. It's unprecedented. What's going on in the world as far as just the racial tension and all that, it's unprecedented. I, I had another one yesterday that happened. I didn't even know it happened. I don't know if you guys are as sharp as my kids. Maybe you read a little bit more on the internet than I do. But we have this, this, this big dust storm that came through. Y'all, I just woke up yesterday thinking it was Georgia. Like, I just thought, like, it just looks like maybe it's the, uh, you know, the pollen of the new June or something. And so I was waiting to see it all over my car. But my kids informed me that there was this huge huge thing, 5,000 miles it's traveled or something like that, from only from what, South Africa, or Africa, right? And so this whole dust storm came up and like I'm outside and I'm getting these alerts. Did y'all get the alerts from the weather channel? Like air quality really bad? It's always really bad in June, right? Like it's never good in June. So I just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, it was interesting. I literally thought this morning with all that's going on, I was going to wake up to the plague of frogs. Anybody else like wouldn't be surprised if there's frogs everywhere or I hear we have cicadas coming back. The locusts are coming back. Has anybody seen any of those? It's biblical, man. I'm telling you, it's going to happen, right? So unprecedented. Uh, in this series, what we've done is we've talked about three huge things that have happened. And when I say unprecedented, I think these are unprecedented. I think when Jesus fed 5,000 with a few loaves and a couple fish, that's that's unprecedented. As a matter of fact, when you look at the number 5,000, it's actually a greater number than that because back then, biblical times, they only counted the men. So there was women and there was children. So some theologians, some people that are way smarter than us, or at least way, way smarter than me, say it could have been up to 10,000 people. How did That's unprecedented. And how about this? We talked about it week two. It was actually when we were over here, our second outdoor service, we talked about unprecedented walking on water. Now, I have been uh, around water all my life. Um, I have boats all my life. I have never been able to walk out of my boat and literally walk on water. I love to try it, but every time I get out of my boat, for some strange reason, I sink straight to the bottom. Anybody else besides? So I would say that's pretty, that's pretty unprecedented. And last week, because uh, churches all over the world, um, this church, we could not do Easter the way we did Easter. You know, we do Easter. Like, I love Easter. I love watching you guys dress up and I dress up and we have a big party around here. It's a big time. We celebrate the resurrection. We weren't able to do that. We did it from my back porch. And it was a good service. We had a great time, right? For those who watched it, it was a great time. Um, but it wasn't the same, was it? So last week, I did Easter last week. And I know I'm a little odd. I was going to do Easter in July. I couldn't, I couldn't hold it in any longer. We talked about, well, to be honest with you, if you talk about unprecedented, I'm going to go on record thinking the resurrection of Jesus is probably the most unprecedented thing that's ever happened in the course of history. I mean, I'm going to lay my body down and I'm going to be put on a cross and I'm going to be put in a tomb. And three days, three days later, I'm going to raise myself from the grave. And not only that, for 40 days after that, people are going to see me so they can, like, they're going to see me alive. And that's what we talked about last week. And I kind of, if you, if you weren't here, I kind of want to just give us a little background of where we were at last week because it's really important because this kind of a succession that happens with Jesus when he's hanging out with his disciples and the night that he's, you know, gets, uh, gets convicted of the crime and he's in the religious leader's house and, you know, unjustified, they're going to put him as a death penalty, a death penalty for just saying that he was like God or he was God. 
And then just think through what happened in those few moments. Like, remember that death of Jesus in just the next couple hours. His followers, you know, scattered and abandoned him. Like, they went everywhere. They were all, they, they were nowhere, nowhere to be found. Jesus, uh, Judas betrayed Jesus, right? And then a couple hours later, he hung himself because he was so, you know, remorseful about how he turned Jesus over for just a couple pieces of silver. Peter, we looked at Peter last week. Peter denied ever knowing him. Jesus prophesied at that dinner, if you remember that. He said, hey, by the way, before the end of the, the rooster crows the third time, you're going to deny me. Oh, no, 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 I'll never deny you. No, 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 no. You're going to deny me. And what we see last week is, in fact, what he did was he turned, turned, turned his face to Jesus. He said, like, I don't, I don't know who you are. Others ran away from him. I mean, think about that cross scene. Um, when you think about who ran away, there was only one that was left, and it was John. It was the only one that was anywhere to be found. Uh, you know, and it, it, it took a toll on him. I mean, like, if you read the rest of the book, he was bold and oil. He was exiled to the island of Pathmos. I mean, he died a mortar's death. Think about that. These are the same people that just a few hours before that were running away. He's running kind of toward. And they also did this. They started beginning to wonder. They were trying to figure out like, okay, now my dreams are dashed. I mean, we put all our hope in Jesus and he was going to be our new king and he's going to take us to this new kingdom and now he's not here anymore. Now what do we do? Did you ever have a moment in your life where your dreams were dashed? Like something like your dream died and you just didn't know what to do? Well, that's, that's how they were. And then that moment came, the most unprecedented event. And I love Peter's kind of rendition of it when we read about it in Luke chapter 24, verse 12. This is what he says about this moment. It's the same Peter that was kind of wishy-washy. All of a sudden, he has a defining moment just like Thomas had. You know, put your hand on my side, put your hand on my... He has the same moment. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking at it. He saw the linen cloth, the grave cloth, where they put him in, the burial moment. It, all the stuff was right there uh, by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. There was this moment. And later that day, and you remember this? Jesus appears to him. And Jesus is now hanging out with him. He, he's eating with him. He's playing ball with him. He's doing all, maybe not playing ball. He was doing all the other things that Jesus is going to do for the next 40 days. And that's kind of where I want to start today. Because Jesus gives the original disciples this amazing commission. He says, you're going to have purpose in your life. You're going to have a reason to live. Uh, this past week, uh, I was watching uh, on the Golf Channel, they had a story about Phil Mickelson. If you don't know who Phil Mickelson, he's won two Masters. He's known as Lefty. He's 50 years old. He's in contention to win another tournament as an older guy, which makes guys like me feel really good. But he, you know, he's one of those guys, and he was talking about his son who had not breathed, didn't breathe for seven minutes. And he said, I don't know what it was. I don't know what happened. He said, but I tell my son every time, there's a and a purpose in your life. Well, that's what Jesus was doing with the disciples. Jesus goes, I'm about to give you purpose. There's a reason that you're alive. You weren't here to, 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 to fish for fish. You weren't here to just be a tax collector or be a farmer or be a teacher. You were here. I put you here for a purpose. We know about it, and it's called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, 18. There's the Great Commandment, which we do a whole series in the fall time, when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, your soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as your... Right? Uh, that, let me back up. Love your neighbor as your... Like, if we can't say it, there's no way we can do it in the world, by the way. And maybe that's what the world really needs. We don't need another... Uh, and just take it like We don't need another, another conference. We don't need another, another, you know, somebody to get up on the... You know what we need? We need an infusion of Jesus like we've never had in this country. We need Jesus to come back. And that's exactly where we're going today because he says here, Great Commission... Verse, 20, uh, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
And then he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and, I, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. So he's, he's challenging them to do something bigger than them. And then I love it because then he says, okay, in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, he starts going down this road. Now, these are the things that you're going to do. With the power that I'm going to give you, you're going to do amazing things. So let's, let's read what he tells them they're going to do. And these signs will accompany those who what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's say that real loud together. Those who what? So if you believe in Christ, these are the things that are going to follow. They, they were not for just the 2,000 years ago, the original 12. They weren't for just the people that were following Jesus. They were for all that came after. So these are promises. These are instructions that he came to, gave us. He said, in my name, they will cast out demons. Woo! Like, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that one, right? Like, we're good with that one. And it says, we'll cast out the, they will speak in new tongues. We're going to talk about that in a minute, right? We believe as a full gospel church that we believe there's a gift of tongues and there's a prayer language in tongues. And we believe that God gives those as he chooses to give those. And so, you know, we believe in that. And then watch this. They will pick up, you had me at the tongues part. <laughs> Who likes snakes? I hate, let me, let me, let me say that again. I hate hate snakes squeal like a girl so can I, let's put this on pause don't move from there because i'll forget where i was at so when i was a youth pastor um they took us to we were in west virginia um right outside of white sulfur springs west virginia if you know anything about west virginia that's where those churches that are always on like like all the shows like 2020 and all that about all the crazy things they do so the, the preachers you know pass around uh poison strychnine and they they have those they have those snake handling you've heard this right snake handling churches so my friend jamie is a youth pastor is everybody know what i'm talking about anybody ever been to one okay we're, really Scary mess. So I, I, so my buddy Jamie goes, hey, we're going to go to one of them snake handling churches. I'm like, no, 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 you're going to go to one of them snake handling churches. So I end up at the front door, and I'm sitting there, and there's, there's windows, so you can see kind of into the windows, right? And so all of a sudden, the pastor of the church, I'm assuming because he had a suit and tie, and he looked important, right? He had multiple snakes in both of his hands, and not like garter snakes, not like the, the little black ones that we pick up. They were the ones that had the on the bottoms of them. They was rattling snakes, right? They were, they, they were timber rattler gators snakes. They were scared. So he's like, and, and he puts them all in one hand, and, and he sees me at the door. I'm like, oh, man. And he does one of these things. And I'm like, peace out. But... Maybe they took it a little too literally, but that was what he's saying they're going to do, right? And they're going to drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick. I love that part. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, right? Verse, next verse says, then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up right into heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father. So this is the ascension of Jesus, right? And I'll read this next verse, but we're going to read Acts 1.8. And if you read through the book of Acts, uh, an angel of the Lord comes to the people in Acts 1 8 and it says, You're going to, that same Jesus that left this earth this way is going to come back. That's the rapture. That's when he comes back for all, all the people that are still left that haven't died yet, um, that are still loving Jesus and all that stuff. And it says, And they went out, watch this. He gave them purpose. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and he confirmed the message by accompanying signs. He gave them a purpose. Now, I got to push pause for a second. 
I know that Jesus is way smarter than I am. But do you know who he was telling this to? He was telling this to a bunch of people that abandoned him. He was telling this to a bunch of people that already quit on him. He was telling this to a person. He was literally looking at Peter while this was going on, knowing in his mind that Peter already denied him, that all of these guys had already walked away, that these people were, were, were like, they were scared. They they, 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 they there was no way. And he's giving him this amazing, unprecedented purpose. And I thought about it. Why? And surely they were sitting there going, there is no way that this is going to happen. It's a big task for a bunch of people that already left him. And then Jesus tells him this, I'm going to give you this purpose. I've given you this purpose, but I'm also going to give you power to fulfill this purpose. I'm going to give you something that you've never had before. I've been telling you about it. I've been telling you about it. Here it comes. Get ready. And we read about it in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And this is what he says. And he says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. If you drop over to Acts chapter 1, it's one of my favorite passages. Um, actually, years ago, um, back in the early 90s, we started a youth ministry here in town called Power Search. And it was actually based on this passage of scripture in Acts 1.8. But let's, let's back up to Acts 1.4. It says, while they were staying with them, order them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. And it says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. And it says, so when they had come together, they had asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Once again, they weren't understanding what he was trying to accomplish. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now watch this. But here's what I'm going to do for you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. He said, I've given you a purpose to fulfill the Great Commission. You're going to do great signs and wonders, and I'm going to give you the power to do this. Now watch, go back to that passage for a second, because this is really, really important. Acts 1.8. Let's go back to this. Back, okay, there you go. I love this, because this is what it's saying. He's saying Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He was saying, I want you to go to the world. I want you to go to every living creature. I want you to understand this is so much bigger than just your little house or your next door neighbor. It's so much bigger than the person on your street. It's so much bigger. I'm going to give you the power. It's so much bigger. It goes past the borders of the state. It goes past the borders of the United States. It goes into all the world. He's saying, listen, I want you to go to Evans. I want you from Evans. I want you to do the CSRA. And then I'm going to give you power and dominion. And, 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 and you're going to have a witness in, in the hall of the Southeast and then all the ends of the earth. And they got to be scratching their head going, you're talking about us, right? You're, you're going to have this power. And what we see in these words where it says power, it's unprecedented power. It's something they never had before. As a matter of fact, the Greek word is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. Explosive, unpredictable at times, beyond your wildest dreams and measures, outside of your comfort zone, I'm going to give you that kind of power. It's kind of like this. Let me explain it. Uh, it's, it's, it's really easy. So I have in my hand something that's worth a lot of people to some people, a lot of money to a lot of people. Okay, this is actually from 1939. This is the uh, Corps of Engineers before they uh, dammed up with Strom Thurmond Clarksville Dam. This is all the topo maps from everything from the 71,000 acre 
lake that we call Clarksville. So I have maps. Fishermen love this. Every time I show a fisherman this, they go, hey, show me where this place is. What is that? Because this shows churches that were flooded in, in that when they, when they dammed up. It, it's cemeteries. It's houses. It's rock pile. It's everything. Right? And so I have all this stuff, and it's not for sale. I had somebody after first service go, how much you want for it? I'm like, it's not for sale. They said $10,000. I said it may be for sale after I get done preaching today. <laughs> Maybe. But it's worth a lot of money if you're a big fisherman because it shows everything that's underneath the water long before the dam. But here's the really cool thing. So I don't know if you know this about Clarksville Dam. Back in 1946, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt issued um, that they were going to start doing these dams for power sources. So they, they, they did the original plans for uh, Savannah River and they started to block it off. Well, this dam up here is two miles long. It's one of the largest dams. Actually, we have the largest body of water east of the Mississippi, outside the ocean, right here in our backyard. So 71,000 acres, two-mile dam. It's 200 feet. It has seven turbines. It puts out 700 million kilowatts a day. It serves power from all the way, all the way down from Savannah, literally Savannah, all the way up through Hartwell. It's over 500, almost 600 miles. That's how many. And it serves every people. So we have power. A lot of our power comes from this. And then we sell power to other regions. But the really cool thing about this is the Savannah River was such a vital part of people that lived that way with farming and, and making sure that the, the crops were taken care of and animals and they used the water obviously for bathing and all that kind of stuff. They realized that they couldn't block the, so they let the Savannah and they diverted it several different times. So in 1954, they opened this dam, dam up. They're letting, letting all hundreds of thousands of gallons of water. This is after 71,000 acres have been filled up. They're letting all this water come down. That's exactly the way it was. It didn't stop. Like the, the trickle didn't stop while they were building it for 10 years. The water was still going. But now all of a sudden, these seven turbines were pushing water at such a great, immense, powerful rate. And that's the Holy Spirit in our lives. He didn't go back and say for thousands of years, for 4,000 years, because you can read about the Holy Spirit all the way back in the book of Genesis. It's not a new thing. Every time there's a prophetic word, it was given by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through Elijah or one of the prophets. And what was happening was there was, there was just a trickle. And then 2,000 years ago in Pentecost, right? So Acts chapter 1a says you'll receive power. The next chapter, they're in an upper room, 120 of them. They're up there, and, and, and it's interesting because this is one of the greatest disunifying things that has ever happened in the church. We think what's happening today is this is even bigger than all of that. Because what happened was, see, back in the Tower of Babel, let me give you a little quick lesson. Back in the Tower of Babel, anybody remember what God did? He confused all the languages, right? He confused the languages. Acts chapter 1-8, all of a sudden, the Bible says, all of a sudden, they, were, they heard each other in each other's languages. What was there to bring back to unity has actually been disunified because the church, we can't agree on anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lots of churches, I grew up in one, believe that the only way that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit is if you speak in a, 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 an unknown tongue. And it's interesting to me because I'm not gonna argue about that today. There's two words, there's a word glossolalia and there's a word carissimo. And we have interjected or intertwined all those words. Unless you understand those two words, you don't understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit's about. Because charisma is a gift. It means charisma. It means having a gift. That was used in the church in the, old, in the New Testament, but it was only used by a couple people. And it always had to be with a following of somebody interpreting that. 
There's another word, glossolalia. It's when Paul says, I pray in the spirit and with understanding. That's what he said. But he's not talking about publicly. He's not saying like Jesus said, like, don't be like the hypocrites where you stand on the rock at the, at the well and you pound your chest and say, hey, look, look, look at how I'm praying. That's something that's done in private in your prayer closet. And so what we're talking about today, and here's the interesting thing. So many people are like, I want the sign. I, want, I don't want the sign. I want the power. I don't need another sign. What I need is the power to do the things God told me to do in this world. I need the power to be the witness that God's called me to be in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So what's that mean for us? Well, I want you to understand this first and foremost, okay? Because I think there's a culture, not necessarily just in our church, but in churches in general, that we're really getting bogged down in something that we don't need to get bogged down in. And I want to say it this way. Knowledge about God is not enough. We need God's power. You can't make it one day without God's power. You can have all the knowledge you want. You can have all the understanding you want. And I'm going to tell you, I love knowledge. Knowledge is perfect, right? But it's not enough. Listen, it's not enough just to know about the Christian faith. Somebody say amen to that. Like there's the Bible, you know what the Bible says? That even demons believe, even demons understand the Christian faith. It's not enough. It's not enough to know what the Bible says. I love when people, you know what the Bible says? Yeah, but are you living it? Yes, I know what the Bible says. I would love to see some people go, you know what? I'm going to emulate. I promised I wasn't going to go this direction. But man, all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, you know what? You know how we change this world? Not by quoting another scripture. Not by blurting out if my people are called by my name. You know how we change this world? By living it out. By, by being Jesus with skin on to the world that we live in. Allowing them to see how Jesus would handle. You want to know something? If you want to know how Jesus would handle stuff, go into the book. Read the book. Read when he's there at the pro, with the prostitute gets caught and he, he's on the knee. Read when he's there at the, at, the, at the well when a woman that got caught in adultery. How did he handle that? He didn't throw stones. As a matter of fact, he said, anybody that's without sin, you guys throw the first. Oh, nobody can do that. You're not, in a, you're not capable because you, you have sin in your life. And I think sometimes what we're doing is we're just in the world throwing stones. Maybe, just maybe, if we said, you know something, we're going to love people back to life. That's what I think this world needs. Somebody should say amen to that. Just saying. You know something? It's not enough to quote a scripture, apostles' creed. It's not enough just to go to Bible. All these things are good. I need these things. I need these things. I need to know God's, God's word. They're necessary. They're starting points. But you know what next steps are for people? Living them out. And that's where the power of God comes. Knowledge is good. <laughs> if it was just about knowledge, think about this. This is what Jesus would Hey, hey guys, for three and a half years, you walked around with me. Good job. I saw some of you are taking notes because I would be a note taker. Would anybody else be taking notes walking around with Jesus? Dude, when that guy was dead, And Martha and Mary were freaking out. And you walked up there. You were so cool. You were cool. You were a cool cucumber, man. Like you just walked up there and said, what are you crying about? He, he only stopped breathing for a little while. I got this. He said, listen, dead things don't stay in graves. Somebody say amen to that. If you're alive, you got to come out of the grave. So he said, hey, rise and be healed. And Lazarus comes walking. I got that one. How, how about my favorite? It's, well, one of my favorites. How about the, like, the blind guy walks up and... Jesus goes, come here. I really spit in my hand, by the way. 
grabs a little mud, mixes it up, put it like, yeah, I got this one. This is good. Here's one of my favorites. Y'all remember when the woman or the person was uh, demon possessed and he cast the demon out of and and, and put it in the pigs and the pigs ran off the the sky. That's so cool. I I can't wait to do that one. When you're gone, Jesus, that's the first one I'm doing right there. If it was just about knowledge, he would have said, hey, you guys got this? You took all the notes. He said, no, no, you can't do the things that I'm telling you you're gonna do by just knowledge. You You have to have the power of God in your life. We need, every one of us in this room needs the power of God. Because you know what happens? If we don't access the power, if we don't um, d- depend on the power, we eventually come to the end of ourselves and our life unravels. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It'll start to unravel. It'll start, that's what happened with them. They realized that what they, they, were, they, they were at the end of themselves. By themselves, they were quitters. By themselves, they were cowards. By, by themselves, they were, they, were, you know, they, were, they were betrayers and abandoners. By themselves, they did all those things. But when God, that's why he said, listen, hey, I'm gonna clothe you with power from on high. Not a single one said, nah, I don't need that. Now, nah, I'll pass on that one. Because every one of them knew they were coming to the end of themselves. And listen, it's all throughout the Bible. And listen, if you're at that place right now, you're in a good place because you're at the same place that people, greats, giants of faith like Paul, like, do y'all remember the, Romans chapter seven, verse 15? It's one of my favorite passages because he talks about real life stuff. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. Somebody say amen to that. Like sometimes I just scratch my head and go, I cannot believe I just did that. Like that was the most like ridiculous thing you've ever done. Are you even breathing? Like think through this, Bobby. Act like you've been here one time. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do, do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. I didn't want to look at that. I didn't want to say that. He made me do it. The devil made me do it, right? Then you drop down a little bit further. Romans 7, 21. So I find to be a law. There's something that's going on with me when I want to do right. Wow. Evil lies, right? Close at hand. It's like, it's ready to devour. It's ready to jump and pounce. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members another law, law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The only way we can do that is with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't come. He, he came to the end of himself. Paul was experiencing the same powerless feeling that we feel a lot of times in our lives and we need, just like they needed, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the second thing. This is really good. Waiting on God is part of the process. That word waiting is almost like a curse word sometimes in church, isn't it? Because we don't like waiting. Acts chapter one, four. I don't know if you caught it, but this is what it said. It says, and while staying with them, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He didn't say you're gonna wait in a day or two days or 10 days. He just said, he just said, wait. Now I want you to know something. We don't do waiting well. Somebody say amen to that. So we don't do it so well that in my journal this past week, as I was down at the beach hanging out with my wife, I actually wrote some things down. So maybe, just maybe, these are some of the things that you've dealt with before. This is my attitude. This is my nature. This is who I am. What do you mean, wait? Like it's confusing to me because I don't do waiting well. How about this one? There's no time to wait. Like everything, come on, let's go. We got to get this done right now. It's like the whole COVID thing. With all respect to everybody, 
man, I love you guys. I would have been back the week after if it was up to me. I know it would have been absolutely ridiculous and it would have been inappropriate and we would have put a lot of people at risk. But that's just my, that's just who I am. I am ready to have church. So today was so cool. So Trey Nixon is one of my friends, one of my good friends over here. And when I saw him, he walked in, he, he, he said, so he, he said, I can't walk out. So part of this, hey, Sherwood, by the way, if I ever walk out of here, they have a shot collar around my neck. So just, you can see me. So I got to stand right here, but I was standing in the back and I'm not hugging people. I'm high-fiving and I'm fist pumping and all that kind of stuff. Trey walks up and violates my zone, <laughs> right? Because I love it. So he's sitting next to me during worship, which he usually sits over here with his family and, and all, all the, the the bunch. And so he, he puts his arm around me. I don't know if he could feel, I just start weeping because I hate waiting. And even like, even the thought of having about a third of the people or half the, half the people, like I'm ready to do church the way we do church around here again. This is good. This is a consolation, right? But like, I'm ready to hug people's neck and I'm ready to hear people screaming and shouting and jumping and doing all the craziness that we do here at Journey. But it's one of those deals where I don't. So we think waiting is like waiting on our spouse. That's what we think of waiting. We think, so how many people have ever waited on their spouse? My wife has to wait for me. Um, Just to be honest, I I have issues. She calls me princess at times. I don't know what that exactly means. Like this morning, I didn't like the shoes I was wearing. So I texted her. They didn't match my shirt the right way. So could you bring my blue Nikes instead of my gray Nikes? And it was like princess. You know, when we're waiting for somebody, we're waiting for them to get ready, aren't we? Like if it's a kid, if it's a husband, a wife, you're waiting for that person. When we're waiting on God, he's waiting for us to get ready. It's because we're not ready. It's because we're not at the point of our lives where he can do the things that he needs to do or wants to do. Waiting, honestly, and seeking go hand in hand. So when he says, wait for the promise of when I want you to wait, it wasn't where they're just going to wait and do nothing. They're waiting, doing something. They're seeking the father. They were praying. They were worshiping. And so many times we think waiting, we're just kind of twiddling our thumbs. No, we should be, we should be diving in. We should be asking God what he wants to do. So waiting doesn't mean, and, and sometimes in, not sometimes, all the time in the waiting, that's when things are happening. So anybody ever, um, lived around a place that had fruit trees like peaches or like we have peaches. So my grandfather, my great grandfather, his name is Gerald. We lived up in um, New Jersey and yes, there is trees in New Jersey. Um, but we had a big like uh, garden in his backyard and he had apple trees and he had peach tree. And every year I couldn't wait. We couldn't wait to go over there in the springtime, April, May. And we would pick, um, you know, peaches. And then in the fall time we'd pick apples. It was just, it was amazing. But one year we got a really late frost. There's all these blooms on the tree. And the, the blooms, when we had the late frost, I think it was like May, I think we actually had snow, like 16 or 18 inches of snow. All the trees' blooms died, so they just fell off. Well, I was waiting for the apples in, in you know, the fall time, and there was no apples. And my grandfather was like, well, there's no apples because the blooms died and all that stuff. Well, the next year, what happened was crazy. The tree had more blooms on it than I've ever seen. And I remember going there in the fall time. I remember seeing the tree. They had so many apples on it. Well, 
Up until this last week, I didn't know what, what was going on. There's these things called seons on them, and there's little nodes. If you ever look at a fruit tree, there's all these little dots and bumps on them. Those things teem with life when the blossoms are coming, and that's where we get the fruit starts to come out from those different areas. Well, when the blossoms die, the, the, the plant didn't die. The tree didn't die. What happened was it took all the energy that would have had apples, making apples that year, and it puts it back, and the next year it has a double and triple and sometimes four times the amount. It's an interesting concept. So we're going there and biggest, juiciest, red, delicious apples. You, I mean, you just, you know, it's amazing. And so, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what waiting is for us. For some, the frost in our lives that's killing the blossoms may be a relationship that's gone bad. Or maybe the frost is a, maybe a job situation that didn't work out quite the way you thought it was gonna work out. Or maybe... Maybe for some strange reason, your dreams were dashed, or maybe you heard the C word. Maybe it's a medical situation, a frost that came. But if we're waiting, if we're waiting for God to do what he wants to do, he's gonna take even those moments where there seems to be no fruit, and he's gonna double and triple and quadruple the fruit when you're ready. We just sang that song and it says, run to the father. And I all but could stand up during that song. And I know I'm an emotional person and I know not everybody in this place, but man, I was, my knees were quivering when we were singing that song. And there was a part in that song that says, my heart needs a surgeon. And I would honestly ask the people of this faith community, the Evans campus, our Sherwood campus, if you're watching in the atrium or if you're just watching online, if you feel like there's a frost in your life, there's no fruit in your life, maybe it's time to be a little reflective. Maybe it's time to ask God what's going on. Maybe it's time to ask for a surgeon to come and somehow or another remove some of the bad spots of our hearts so he can do what he wants to do in our lives. All throughout the Bible. As a matter of fact, this may offend some people. Let me give you a spiritual truth. Part of being a follower of Jesus is learning to wait. He says it all the time. He says it in Psalms 27 verse 14. He says it just like this. He said, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. One of my favorites is Isaiah chapter 4, 40. Some of you see it on a card or maybe it says, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting is part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's another thing that as I'm going through this, people say, Bobby, how do you know if the Holy Spirit's on you? Now, I talked about there's a sign, but I don't want the sign. I want to see the works. I want to see the, the stuff. There's no denying it when you have God's power in your life. There's no denying it. Circumstances, you ever notice circumstances change? Things that used to happen don't happen anymore. I remember in 2003, we were down at Hilton Head um, Beach and Tennis Club. And we were sitting there and um, God spoke to us, me and my wife, about starting a church. Why would we need to start another church? Do you guys know this, that Augusta is the most churched city in the, in the United States? There's more churches in, the United, in, in Augusta than there's any other city in the United States. It's the birthplace of the Southern Baptist Convention, First Baptist Church downtown in Green Street. This is where church happens. Why would you want to start another church in this city right here? Go somewhere else. And God spoke to us. And I said, uh, said to my pastor, Marty Baker, he's the pastor of Stevens Creek. I said, I said, God's speaking to us about doing this church. And he said, oh man, I've been praying. I already, this way he said, I already knew that you were gonna start a church. 
He said, I knew back in January. I said, why didn't you tell me? And then all of a sudden we're sitting there and I said, I don't even know what the next thing to do. He said, well, start, you need to find a place to have church. And so I made a phone call. There was a new elementary school opening in 2003. It was Lewiston Elementary School. Dr. Um, Doolittle was his name. He was the, and that's his real name. He didn't talk to animals, but that was his name, Mike Doolittle. I actually think he's over here at Parkway now. Great guy, great man. So I call up and I said, hey, this is Bobby Smith. He said, I know who this is. And he said, I know what you're calling about. I said, what do you mean you know what I'm calling about? He says, we have had a team walking around the building praying that God would have a church meet in this school and your name came to our minds. What? Are you smoking something? That's how the Holy Spirit, you know the power. When the power's on you, circumstances change. You know what else? When you know the power, the things that you used to lose to, you win to now. The things that you used to struggle with, the sins, that secret thing that, that, that was back there. You don't do that. Be, you know, and let me tell you what else. I don't live by feelings. Okay, we sang a song a little while ago. I don't live by feelings, but feelings are part of it, right? I, I've noticed this. When the Holy Spirit's on you, when, when you really have the Holy Spirit, there is waves of joy. Joy unspeakable, even in the midst of crisis. Uh, there's a saying that we have around our church. We say it all the time. Leaders make big things look small. You know where that comes from? That comes from the Holy Spirit. Because our, our natural ability is to make big things look bigger. We try to fabricate and make everybody, no. Leaders, followers of Jesus, make big things look small. You know why? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and we know that he's gonna take care in an exceedingly abundantly way. You know what else we sang a song about today? You know what else happens when the Holy Spirit's on you? Dry bones come alive. Dead things come alive. Things that used to be in graves, marriages that used to be in graves come alive. Businesses that used to be in graves, careers that used to be, families that used to be in graves, they come alive because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Let me give you the last one right here. God's power always, God's power is always related to God's purpose. He doesn't give us power for just our own doing. He doesn't give us power just so we can look good, so you can heal the sick or, 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 or you know, be a witness or stand up on a street corner. He gives it because there's a purpose behind it because he wants to be made famous in the world we live in. Acts chapter one, eight says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. There's the purpose in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And just like 2000 years ago, he told that ragtag bunch of people, here's this big responsibility. 2000 years later, he's telling this group of people right here, I want you to change the world. It's impossible. There are so many things stacked against us. It's absolutely, but that unprecedented moment that happened 2,000 years ago, God wants another one to happen today. I said last week, I'm confused. I don't know the rules. And I walked off stage last week and I literally said, this is the weirdest moment of our lives. 54 years old, weirdest moment. And I walked off the stage and somebody walked up to me somebody I respect, somebody that loves me and cares about me. And just said, this seems a lot like what was going on several thousand years ago. When Jesus, the great liberator, when Jesus, the great healer, when Jesus, the great politician, when Jesus, the great Messiah. And we can have said it already. We can have conventions, conventions. We can have more meetings. We can have all that other stuff. We can wear shirts that say certain things. We can do all that stuff. 
what we need is we need God to move. Please stop asking him and wondering why he's not in our schools. He's not in our schools because he's not in our houses yet. If we want him back in society, we have to have him in our houses. I think it's time that the church, this faith community, whether you're on the Evans campus, the Sherwood campus, our online camp, wherever you're at, I think it's time that we say, God, we want you to move with power and I want you to use me. I was at the beach this past week. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little infatuated with stuff. I, I have squirrel moments. And I had a squirrel moment. I was walking on the beach with my wife and me and Gina were walking. We were holding hands and I let go of her hand real quick and she kept on walking and she turned around and it happened three or four times. And I was just standing there staring at, I don't know if y'all have ever seen it. They do this thing called kite surfing. Has anybody ever seen kite surfing? So it's ridiculous. So there was this guy out there and he has feet and he's got it's like a parachute. So he's got a surfboard strapped to his ankles. He's got a parachute. And the wind's blowing him all over the place. And I'm not, this guy was good. Like he was coming out of the water like 20 feet. He was doing all these cool tricks. And like, and I'm just standing. Like I was mesmerized by this. So we go back to the room. And Gina said, what are you thinking about? I said, I'm going to find out about this kite stuff. What do you mean you're gonna find out about this kite? I'm gonna do this stuff. He goes, she goes, you had a knee surgery in September. You can barely walk. How are you gonna do this? I'm like, Shut up. So I, I researched and I, I learned what a good one is and what a bad one is and how you can do it and how you can use the wind both directions and how you can, you know, all this stuff. I even called, I even called up one of the rental places down there and I said, hey, could you do me a favor? Could you bring one of those things out to the beach? I want to try it. Well, I got smart and decided to tell them not to bring it. And we're sitting at the beach, right, the next day. And we're sitting on our little cabana and we're just talking. And it was hot. Like, it was hot, hot. And all of a sudden, I noticed this guy, the same guy with this kite surfing thing, was doing everything he could trying to get the parachute to open. And it dawned on me. I can have all the knowledge about kite surfing. I can know all the cool moves. I can have the best equipment because, you know, guys like toys, right? Like, we're not going to buy the cheap one, the styrofoam one. We're going to buy the best one they make. So I can do all that stuff. But, and this is a big but, if there's no wind, it doesn't work. in our world, I think we've gotten really dependent on us and we haven't been waiting for the wind that only God can bring. Until we let him enlarge that sail and take us where he wants us to go, we're going to have these struggles. In the book, Experiencing God, Blackaby says this, it's time that we stop asking God to join us where we are and ask us or ask him where can we join him.
That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need to come to the end of ourselves so God can do something spectacular. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in this moment right here, first of all, I hope, I hope, God, that you are pleased and you are honored with everything that we sang about today and everything we talked about. I, I hope, I hope today was your words and not my words. I hope today was your truth, not speculation or opinion. Because your truth sets captives free. And I believe there's people in this room that first and foremost need to come to the knowledge of who you are, Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. They need to understand they don't do that by walking an aisle or filling out a car. They do that by having a conversation with the one who came to save their soul, the one that died on the cross. So I'm hoping that conversation is happening right now. And there's other conversations happening right now. There's some of us in this room that have struggled with the same thing over and over again, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to come to the end of ourselves. There's others that have never had that power. They've had that trickle. They've had a little trickle, like before the dam was dammed up and before the turbines worked and 700 million you know, kilowatts came through. They're in that trickle phase. But today, God, I pray that we would be waiting on you and your power, that we would see you do something in our lives that's never happened before. God, while we're teaching kids in the schools, while we're coaching on playing fields, while we're, or, while we're just doing stuff with our children, while we're at the lake, while whatever we're doing, God, that we would, we would see and identify that power and we'd be reminded of Acts 1a. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes out and you will be my witness. You gave us power with a purpose and we're thankful for that. God, be with us this next week. Do something big in us. Do something unprecedented in us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteptjourneycommunity.net.